Hello, and welcome to Mindful You at Naropa, a podcast presented by Naropa University in Boulder, Colorado. I'm your host, David Devine, and it's a pleasure to welcome you. Joining the best of Eastern and Western educational traditions, Naropa is the birthplace of the modern mindfulness movement. Hello. Today, I'd like to welcome a very special guest to the Naropa podcast, John Cobb. John is a former Naropa University president from 1993 to 2003, and he also sits on the Naropa Board of Trustees. He is a lawyer and also an educator. John and his wife also started the John Cobb Peace Lectures at Naropa. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you, David. Good to meet you again. Yeah. <laughs> So when I first came here as a student, you were just rounding off your presidency at Naropa. So that was kind of fun, kind of see you in that capacity. Yeah, the, well, they invited me back oh, for really? an interim year. So I, <laughs> I did 10 years and then uh, went away for a while. And uh, uh, they had uh, an opening and they invited me back, which was great fun in 2011. Awesome. I believe you were here then. Yeah. Wonderful to come back. I think people had forgotten what an autocrat I was in, in the first <laughs> 10 years. Yeah. And I was welcomed very heartily and awesome. And did some good things in a short space of time and mm. reconnected with the place, yeah. uh, which was wonderful for me. Awesome. Well, it's good to have you back. Thank you. And so just to let our listeners know who you are, what you have done, just give us a quick background of how you've come to where you are now. Whoa. Uh, yeah, at 73, that might take more time than you've got. <laughs> but I was a practicing lawyer for about 25 years in both the private sector and the public sector. I did a lot of legal aid work and civil rights work. Wow. Uh, at one point in time, I went from uh, working uh, for a legal aid organization in Denver, and I joined a, a law firm in Boulder mm. uh, that happened to represent uh, Naropa, among oh. other things, okay. represented the founder, too, as well. And uh, I got very much involved with Naropa from the point of representing them. And uh, it ended up in the founder pointing me to the board of Naropa when we first started the independent board in, in 1985, that was. Oh, so wow. Okay. That was my first formal relationship uh, with the institution. And one thing led to another. And mm. uh, in uh, 92, when they did a, Barbara Dilley resigned. Yeah. Uh, they did a search. After that search went on for 18 months, they finally chose me. And uh, <laughs> for some reason, probably uh, the start of the best job that I could have imagined. Mm. So Wonderful. Yeah. Naropa found you because you started working for a law firm that was representing Naropa. And tell me a little bit about what drew you to law, working in law? How did you find that? Well, I went to law school for a, probably a pretty bad reason, which was that I didn't want to go to Vietnam. So I went to law school, and I'm very fortunate because I've had a what I call the best education money can buy, which mm. was Harvard and Columbia. Oh, wow. And uh, I went to Columbia Law School. It was a really excellent law school. But I wasn't ready 
for it. In a sense, I was going for the wrong reason. But the moment I got out of law school, I went into Vista as a lawyer, and they sent me to Colorado, which is how I got to Colorado. Okay. And when the first client walked through the door, the whole thing changed for me. Mm. I realized you have a sudden insight that what you've been laboring about in your studies actually has a real-world yeah. impact, an yeah. experiential impact. Yeah. I mean, Naropa is very good at joining studies with uh, experience and yeah. as well as meditation mm. and you know, self-insight. But I had never had the experiential at Columbia mm. because they hadn't even started a clinical program then. So the moment I got out, I said, wow, this is absolutely amazing that yeah. actually a person comes through your door mm. and you might have something to help them. Someone with. to yeah. represent yeah. it. Yeah. So that took off. And then um, I just had a sense that the best place for me was representing people who couldn't afford representation any other way. So I spent a lot of time in legal aid. Mm. That's wonderful. What yeah. kind of drew you to that sort of legal work? Um, I think my upbringing and uh, girlfriend-to-be wife also was very supportive of that. Okay. She was supportive in the fact that I turned down a Wall Street job and continued on Mm. that would have paid me yeah. three times as much, and I just made that decision. It's yeah. a decision that Naropa students make all the time yeah. in small and large ways, and I was very fortunate that I made that decision. Yeah. So I, you know, I went to work on the Navajo reservation mm. and as a lawyer and was making $9,500 a year, pleased with it. Yeah. And, you know, it was an experience that I couldn't trade. You know, I've been very fortunate in my life choices one of which was taking the job as president of Naropa, mm -hmm. which I kind of backed into. I haven't been very <laughs> proactive in my life choices, but I've been fortunate. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate the work you're doing and just kind of like how you've come to this idea and just being able to like hold space for that, you know, because I feel like a lot of people that want to be a lawyer, they don't necessarily think of the underserved populations that could need lawyer services. Yeah, I think that it ebbs and flows with the need for survival, the need for money, all the issues that students face. I faced, I was just fortunate to be able to make the choice. Yeah. And I have graduates of my course that are making those same choices, and uh, I feel very empathetic with them. It's, it's mm -hmm. hard. It's yeah. very hard. Definitely. Yeah. But it's the good work, you know? Yeah. I'm, here, yeah. I'm also hearing like a similarity between you and Chuck the current president of Naropa, because both of you are lawyers and both of you have worked in like the social... Yeah, we were law partners in yeah, the same law firm. Working in yeah. the social social yeah. justice kind of world and doing the good work and just like, I also spoke with him like a long time ago. So it's really cool to kind of round it off with both of you being president of Naropa. Yeah. Well, it makes it, uh, life for a paycheck is pretty dry mm -hmm. and somewhat unsustainable emotionally and psychically, I think. Yeah. You've got to have other things going on. It's a choice you can make at any point in your life. I'm 73. I could still make that choice. You know, I, there's a lot of... Uh, I, I still have choices. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, we uh, all have choices at yeah. any moment. Yeah. It's so amazing. Exactly. Yeah. Awesome. So I understand that you are currently teaching courses at Naropa, and... I'm just curious, how long have you been teaching, and what is it that you teach? Let's dive a little deeper into that. Well, right now I'm teaching a course and have for seven years called Law, Human Rights, and Social Change. Okay. I've always taught, 
the presidency was a 24-7 job, mm -hmm. it, I always wanted to teach. I love to teach, but also it puts me in touch with the students if I'm a, a bureaucrat. It also puts me in touch yeah. with the faculty because uh, <laughs> I understand what faculty mm. are going through experientially in the classroom yeah. a, a bit more. So it was extraordinarily helpful for me mm -hmm. in a selfish way. I hope it was also helpful for the students. Yeah. I taught a course in the college for years called Freedom's Just Another Word, which uh, oh, wow. uh, was the old Janis <laughs> Joplin song, but uh, hey. which was about the Bill of Rights. Yeah. And then um, when we started peace studies, Candace Walworth came to me and said, would you like to teach a, a law course? And I said, fine, what, what should it look like? Mm -hmm. And that was about seven, eight years ago, and we uh, came up with this Law, Human Rights, and Social Change course which you could say is an introduction to law, but it's a lot more. I've found uh, it really joins a... I sneak in a lot of history. Uh-oh. You know, <laughs> uh-oh. You see, that's what most people... But the law is yeah. uh, very attuned to precedent. It's, it's based in what's yeah. happened before, but it's also using precedent as a springboard for policy mm. into the future. So Definitely. it's a very... Um, Interesting way to teach civics, to teach mm. uh, history, and yet pay attention to the chart of yeah. where we're going. I usually call the arc of the universe bends towards justice. You know that quote. Mm. And uh, so are we really bending towards justice? And if not, why not? If so, how? Mm -hmm. And that was my intention. So we study this, the Supreme Court decisions under the 14th Amendment. We go all the way back to Dred Scott, Plessy versus Ferguson, and we mm -hmm. bring it forward to Brown versus Board of Education and to the recent affirmative action cases. Yeah. Now, you can actually chart those on a board huh. and show where we're headed or not headed. Uh -oh. and now it's, it's statistics. It's, fa <laughs> it's fascinating to students, yeah. actually, Wow. because you can't really get them excited about the Dred Scott case, most people say that's the worst decision the Supreme Court has ever made, and that's mm. accurate. Yeah. But you have to actually look at it and how we grew out of that moment, you know, yeah. and, and yeah, yeah. move forward. Like, over where was the arc going after that decision? Yes, and it's not a steady state. So that's what we do. We study three themes. We study um, what I would call equality, freedom or liberty, mm -hmm. and due process, those three themes and how they have uh, manifested in the Supreme Court and yeah. in our d daily lives. Due process, I also call fundamental fairness, how people treat each other, yes. how the government treats us, how we treat each, each other. Mm -hmm. So there's a quality of going deeper and seeing how these things, where these things came from. Yeah, I love the idea of breaking all that down studying each one of them and then kind of piecing them back together and seeing how they co-mingle mm -hmm. and, and mm -hmm. kind of work together. And I also like the idea of you showing the history because within history is stories. And I guess when you're learning law, personally, I don't know if this is true, but I feel like it is true. If you're learning law, having a story of like past what has happened helps you make decisions upon newer laws oh. and makes helps you kind of understand the justice arc and kind of where we are going as a society and a community. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, exactly. And um, I want to instill or um, even I could use the word train students to have a sense of 
what I call relentless curiosity about these stories. Mm, I love that. I mean, I could go on a length about this, but there's a quality of accepting things without questioning them. Yeah. It, especially there's a lot of us, a lot of opinions floating around today mm -hmm. that are not based in reason or, or fact, right? So yeah. <laughs> I, I want Naropa students to constantly question. I yeah. call it relentless curiosity, and Love I... It. We often say at Naropa, generally, the question is more important than the answer. True. It is true generally in your life, even from an introspective point of view, uh -huh. right? You don't want to come up with answers like, I'm a bad person, right? Yeah. Or even I'm a good person, right? Yeah. It's just keep questioning, you know, so that you yeah. don't involve in self-deception. Well, the study of history is the same way. The study of fact situations, so-called, mm -hmm. is the same way. So. Yeah. I want students to be able to pose questions and never be satisfied with the answer mm. until they get to the bottom of something. And maybe yeah. they find out that it's bottomless, yeah. right? Which is a good Naropa term, yeah, right? There's a bunch of questions down there. Yeah, they're, they're still, there are more and more questions. <laughs> yeah. And uh, that, I think, is the contemplative aspect of my course, mm. right? It's, and along with that curiosity is demystifying the law. I mean, most people say, say about that. well, Okay, this has been a busy legal w week. Maybe you've been paying attention. I mean, yeah. it's been a bu busy legal week. For uh -huh. The Supreme Court has announced all these cases. Yeah. And they're big deals in our society. They're mm -hmm. big society. But a lot of us would say, okay, there they go again. I don't really understand it. Mm. It seems to be in favor of Trump and against the people, or it seems to be pro this or yeah, you know, pro corporate or yeah, yeah, and people sum it up. Well, I got a email from a student in my course last week after this uh, interesting case came down out of Colorado from the Supreme Court, and she said, "I just want to thank you because mm. I actually read the decision." <laughs> See, that's the difference. So you can yeah. read. You're not. You don't just shy away and assume that it, it's meaningless in your life, or that it. You're going to rely on. Um, Rachel Maddow to explain it to you. You're actually you feel confident that you can yeah. you can Google the opinion and read it, and You're, they and my yeah. students can and self empowered. Yes, mm -hmm. exactly, and demystified, and so you mm. don't just stop at a certain point. You're empowering people to understand the law and to not it be seen as a mystery, and it's it's like this veil that you have to unveil to f actually figure out what's going on, and there's like decisions being made in there that you can understand a bit more mm -hmm. once you start understanding the process of law and understanding how the judicial system works. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Also, um, you know, in every case, these cases this week have largely been decided 5-4. Five, five mm -hmm. justices for, four against. Yeah. And that's very close, right? Yeah, it's teeter-tottering. That's very close. Mm -hmm. So as a student, as a graduate, as an alumnus, mm -hmm. uh, alumna, uh, what do you want to know? You want to know what the issue was and why yeah. it was decided that way yeah. and uh, what it means. And those kinds of questions are really important. Now, A, if you can't ask the question... And B, you can't go any further with the question. Mm -hmm. You're in trouble, right? Yeah. I, actually, I feel like our citizenship, our participation in this democracy, is dependent on our 
having that curiosity. Yeah. That intellectual um, discipline. Yeah. I might say certainly college graduates citizen. Yeah. I, I think that, um, anyway, I'll stop there <laughs> for a moment. Ask me another question. Nice. So um, real quick, what I'm hearing is there's this idea of past, present, and future. The past is th the decisions we made before. The present is the moment we're in of trying to make a decision. And then the future is decisions we will make upon wrapped up in the judicial system. And so you're empowering your students to actually view this. What have decisions have we made before in these like pivotal cases? How are, do we make decisions currently? Mm -hmm. And how are we moving to make decisions within the future? And you're empowering the students and the persons that are interested to actually go deeper into it other than just being subjected to what the what the judicial what the present moment yeah. of this, what the present composition of this court mm -hmm. is saying. Uh, it's well said. You said it yeah. well. So it's sort of like the decisions of the present are standing on the decisions of the past, yeah. right? They're modifying them a bit because of present concerns, but mm -hmm. not too much. Yeah. And so that we might look at it and say, why aren't they adapting quicker. Mm. Well, actually, there are good policy reasons sometimes for not adapting yeah. quicker. And then they may be looking towards the future. So it's no different from the individual, actually. When you ask me, how did I get here? Yeah. You know, it's that same thing. It's <laughs> implicit seeing... in how did I get here is the present <laughs> moment, right? But it's, yeah. a, it's a whole 73-year journey to this present moment with you sitting across from you. Totally. And then we're both looking to the future. Mm-hmm. We, yeah. we are. We are. Yeah. We're, I'm thinking about, you know, how my course is going to be now. You know, or mm -hmm. I'm thinking about the law is the same way. So you just said you're thinking about your future course. Tell me more about that. How are you going to approach this next semester? Anything you're excited about? Anything you're looking forward to? Do you notice anything with the students that you get? Like, are there certain type of archetypes of students that you get that are interested in law? I'm told that there's a rumor going around that it's the uh -oh. hardest course in the college. So uh, <laughs> I think students self-select. I accept <laughs> you know, your challenge. Yeah, I would, I would have avoided it when I was in college. <laughs> but yeah. no, it, it's, it's, uh, I'm rather proud of that because students mm. uh, need and accept a challenge. It's a new language. Yeah. You know, it, it's like learning Greek, largely learning <laughs> a lot, lot of Latin-based words. <laughs> but uh, it's a new language, so the demystification involves actually learning a, a little bit of a new language. So yeah. you start off. But I've always thrown them in the deep end, and mm. uh, I start them off reading an actual case from 1948 called um, Shelley versus Kramer, which is a f famous first-year law student case. Yeah, And uh, they actually read the opinion, and by class three, they've done a... Uh, an analysis of the case mm. from the opinion as opposed to, you know, Wikipedia or something. Yeah. And so they, they look at me and they look <laughs> at each other and said, did we just do that? <laughs> right? So it's, yeah. it's really great. And I, I, I look forward to it every year because the Supreme Court has just given us a huge amount of fuel for the course next year, right? Mm. The Masterpiece uh, Cake Shop case, which, yeah. you know, pits the First Amendment freedom of uh, free exercise of religion against uh, the 14th Amendment uh, gay rights. Yeah. Equal protection for gay rights people. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, the Supreme Court has opined about it, but it doesn't stop there. Mm -hmm. You see what I mean? Yeah. You're right? Yeah. So uh, that's 
you know, you could devote a whole class to that and people would be totally engaged. And also yeah. it takes you back to mm. how we got here, how the history yeah. of gay rights came to this point, how the First Amendment free exercise of religion goes all the way back to 1620. Wow. I, you, you see what I mean? You have to put history in there. You, know, you, you can't You, you cannot it. do and, it. And it, yet it makes it alive. Yeah. Because it's here and now at the same time. So. Yeah, it gives it life, too, because then you're understanding why it is where it is in this yeah. moment. And also, it kind of makes you realize, like, maybe you can breathe some more life into it and have it conform to society a bit more because we're changing so rapidly. For sure. You know what I mean? For sure. Yeah. So in the current climate of education and college and just students coming in to receive education, how do you see civics informing students nowadays? It's a big topic, but I can tell you that if you look at uh, any statistics about our civic literacy in this country, mm -hmm. it's basically we're in the grip of uh, civic uh, illiteracy. Uh -oh. And yeah. uh, I think high schools and colleges, for a number of reasons, are not doing enough. Mm -hmm. Some might be. Yeah. Not doing enough to make that actually part of the core, I don't want to say core curriculum, but enough of the required general education of students. And as a result, students have kind of turned away. I mean, there's, there are a lot of forces going on, right? We've commodified higher education in such a way that we've monetized yeah. higher education so that the humanities, which includes history mm -hmm. and to a certain extent includes civics, have been sort of demeaned, mm -hmm. I think. And uh, there are a lot of forces at work in that, and uh, including... And, and this is not a liberal or conservative issue. It's... I think the liberals are as much at fault as the conservatives in the removal of, of civic education and history from yeah. college curricula. Yeah. You look at the statistics, it goes down about 10% a year, or 10% really? every two years in terms of student participation in history majors, history departments. Particularly at this point in our history, where it's difficult, everybody is has an opinion about our history and what it means. They don't necessarily research anything, but they state their opinion in yeah. order to... So they're politicizing history. Mm. And liberals and, and conservatives do this yeah. as much. And that's why, since we politicize history, it's a lot easier for colleges and, and high schools to drop it altogether rather than to try and sort through that. Yeah. You see what I mean? Mm. So I'm very resistant to that. Uh-huh. I also think that the founder talked a great deal about creating enlightened society, right? Mm -hmm. And he thought institutionally, uh, institutionally, Naropa should model that institutionally, but it should also graduate students that were uh, had a longing for a better world and were yeah. willing to put their um, bodies on the line for a better world, their bodies and minds, yeah. body, speech, and mind yeah. on, on the <laughs> line for a better world. Definitely. And uh, I think that's civics. Yeah. In part, yeah, it can be you know, it can be therapy. In mm -hmm. part, it can be a, arts, theater. Yeah, it can be all of that. But the the fact that we don't teach anybody about the Bill of Rights and and what it means today and what it's going to mean for our future mm. and and maybe we just sacrifice it at some point and we don't really care and no one 
oh, that was nice. The First Amendment was nice. But whatever happened to that? You know, I mean, it's like yeah. that's an exaggeration. We could be headed that way without even knowing it, mm. right? So I think colleges have to step up. I mean, colleges were originally formed around what it, what education is necessary to be a good citizen of a democracy. Yeah. That's 1930s talk, right? Yeah. <laughs> Whatever happened to that? Mm. And uh, so I'm, this is, you can tell, I'm, I'm almost grabbing you around the neck. <laughs> <You're> just, he's <laughs> so passionate about yeah, this right yeah. now. Well, I love it, though. I'm, I'm so, really feeling you. So that's, that's a big deal for me. Totally. And, uh, I would say that at Naropa, we have a lot of students in the psychologies, which is great. Some of mm -hmm. them turn out to be some of the best students I have in my course. Yeah. But I emphasize, I would say I emphasize the objective mm more than the subjective. Okay. And the reason for doing that is that I think that it balances out the rigor involved in understanding what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I, I joke with my students. I say, don't write me a sentence that starts with I feel. Right? Yeah. You see what I mean? Mm -hmm. And they go, they laugh, but they still do it, mm -hmm. and then they don't do it ever again. Mm -hmm. Right? So I feel that, yeah. as opposed to that, and then a footnote. You yeah, see what I mean? you're taking it away from the the opinion, yeah. and the emotional. Yeah, you're you just want to see the facts. Yeah, because mm -hmm. we react very emotionally to history. I mean, it's very true. Yeah, but that's not the whole thing. Uh, different from uh, a Harvard classroom, I can tell you, the Naropa classroom is full of emotion, full of empathy. Yeah. All right. Yeah. It just generally flows over. Even in my course, we read a case like Miranda, which is a case everybody knows. People react very emotionally to it, mm -hmm. and they should, and I appreciate that. But you can't just say, okay, I side with Miranda, obviously, the poor guy, mm -hmm. or I side with the state because Miranda was a killer, mm -hmm. right? You've got to have much more of an intellectual discipline about it. On the other hand, where does our sense of justice come from, except mm -hmm. deep down, right? Yeah, so. I'm hearing this, like, uh, justice needs to not be wedded to ego and emotion. Ooh! You know, because if Good. you're making... Good, you must have graduated from Naropa. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've, yeah. I'm really understanding the, the separation of ego and the separation of, like, truth and facts and just moving forward with different decisions. And, and also, we respond from ego. Like, ask yourself this question. When you're having a difficult situation, how would you show up with ego and how would you show up with your heart? They would say completely different things. You know what I mean? Because the ego is like this protective, like, oh, I, I'm going to like make sure I feel good. You're always wrong. I'm always right. I'm going to like talk myself into it. But then the heart's like, I hear where you're coming from. I hear you hear everything. You you able much to more filter open. it. Yeah. Much more open. So by yeah. having your students not say, I feel, you're you're taking out the the ego of it. And you're just having just strictly thought, just pure thought, no emotion attached. It was certainly not based in ego. Yeah. Uh, I think that when our emotions are clouding mm -hmm. our relentless curiosity, because mm. you, when you have <laughs> relentless curiosity, you want to find out something that you thought was true before you started asking questions. Yeah. That's a problem, right? <laughs> and yeah. that's usually emotional. Mm. It's like, how could this be? 
wait a you minute. Know, wait a minute. <laughs> Hold How on. could this be? Right? <laughs> yeah. And uh, it, it's very powerful. Mm. The absence of it is very powerful. Mm. It's not that you could segregate it. It's, it's very holistic. Yeah. But you have to segregate it a little bit in order to see what you're doing. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. So we only have a couple minutes left, and there was two. Really? Yeah. Like I said, it goes back. I got like, a lot more to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we can probably keep saying it, too. Yeah, yeah. So I just wanted to ask you about the peace scholarship that you have at Naropa. So you've started a peace scholarship. Can you tell me oh, more no, about actually, that? Oh, no, actually, the scholarship uh, was started by a really good friend of mine. Okay. Yeah, no, I didn't name a scholarship after myself. <laughs> yeah, going back to the ego question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, uh, it was uh, Bill Jones, a longtime trustee mm. of Naropa. Okay. Gave uh, a bunch of money, I think, trust that he set up, and it uh, started the John Cobb. Um, <laughs> so he put it in your scholarship. Name. <laughs> yeah. And awesome. since then, my he wife and I you. have added to it because I thought it, it should be larger just from the point of view of benefiting yeah. students. So yeah. it's a scholarship that's uh, endowed and a student gets it every year and or okay. one or more students get it every year. Yeah. And it helps, you know, and uh, a student in my class got it this year, which I'm very happy mm. about because he might not have been able to continue without it. And yeah. uh, he's a jewel. So there it makes me feel it. good, and uh, I thank Bill Jones for mm. being generous and giving me a further opportunity, my wife and I, to be generous as well. That's great. Uh, I mean, I think that uh, the cost of higher education is something to be reckoned with, and it impacts what we've been talking about in yeah. this podcast. It's Definitely. It's just very hard for students to turn away from computer science to go into... The arts, yeah. poetry, Buddhist studies, yeah. even the you know, uh, law and uh, human rights. You know, so mm. yeah. So you have the scholarship, but then you also have the peace lectures. Oh yeah, so that is something that um, that's something I, I you didn't do. name for myself again. <laughs> it was named. It was the named board, after the board named it after me. <laughs> what is it named? It's called the uh, Byard and John Cobb Peace Lecture, and annual peace lecture. Yeah, yeah. my wife is Byard Cobb, and um, we started that back when peace studies started because we thought that peace studies, peace studies students and faculty should mm -hmm. have an opportunity every year to hear from and hang out with uh, major thought leaders and practitioners in in yeah. this. Uh, I would I would say peacemaking. And it's been incredibly successful. We've had a long range, and people could go up on the uh, website. I think, I, I, I don't know what it is, but the uh, Byron and John Cobb Peace Lecture is yeah, somewhere. Yeah, you just type it in the search bar. Yeah, it shows and up. Um, see the list of, uh, and what we hope to get were people that were actually on the ground and working in the field. Yeah. And, and from whom uh, they, they would spend time, like Fanchon Cox spent a lot of time with yeah. students this time. She gave a wonderful, I wouldn't say it was yeah. a lecture. It, she she did gave, a it gave her a one-act performance, yeah, which was the one fantastic. Drop of love. Oh, one drop mm -hmm. of love. And then she also hung out with students mm -hmm. uh, for quite a lot, a lot of time, took questions. She's I, enjoying her work for sure and doing some really uh, good yeah. work. She she's even was contagious. on the podcast. She's contagious. Yep. You know, oh, yeah. Beautiful. It's absolutely wonderful, yeah. <laughs> she uh, was the most recent one that's 
Yeah, and she, and she was, in a sense, brought to us by a Naropa grad who was out there and said, yeah. you, you've got to have this. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. So Candace said, we should ask this person. I said, my wife and I said, Byron and I said, great. We brought Fania Davis last yes, year, right? Yeah. That was yeah. so yeah. amazing. Yeah. Just With restorative right justice, yeah. uh, which in my course, I don't deal with that very much. Candace Walworth at, at, deals with it in her courses in depth. But obviously, uh, there's a lot more we could do with restorative justice, mediation, yeah. uh, and other ways of solving uh, disputes mm. than the adversarial system, which is basically what we have. I mean, it's not a... <laughs> I could actually give a defense for the adversarial system, yeah. uh, which... And I think my students see and understand it better when they get through the course. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. So with everything going on in the justice system and you with your career growing up learning law and teaching human rights and working for a contemplative educational university, what advice could you give young people wanting to pursue a career in the human rights and or like as a lawyer representing people? What, what sort of advice can you give someone? I, I'm very proud that out of... I have five students who took my... I've taught maybe 150 students in this course over the course of, you know, seven years, mm -hmm. and uh, maybe slightly less. And five of them have gone to law school. And uh, I always... I'm quite proud of that. And then I have a second thought, which is... OMG, <laughs> they've gone to law school, you know? So um, it's a hard career as a lawyer for yeah. reasons that we discussed earlier on in the yeah. podcast. But uh, I think they're really doing well. I mean, I've got a graduate from a year ago, year ago second year of law school, and she's working with um, working up pardon petitions for huh. convicted criminals. It's just... And she spoke to the class, and it's just remarkable. I mean, wow. everybody in the class was, this is just wonderful mm. work. And uh, she's um, made a decision that even though it's it's not going to bring her a lot of money, this is what she wants to do. And she's working in a lot of other aspects of her interests. You know, yeah. she's sort of a, interested in nutrition, and she has this whole thing. Uh, it's not really a hobby. It's her her whole life. Yeah. And she's integrating that into the idea that what she wants to work with is dietary issues of prisoners mm. that lead to recidivism huh. and craziness wow. in prison. I mean, I couldn't have... I. Uh, wow. I was just, uh, I was, my jaw was on my It's like, chest. how did you piece that together? Yeah, and... Uh, so that's interdisciplinary. And, uh, but, but she's researched the whole thing about dietary, mm. uh, that it causes bad results. Yeah. Or worse results for incarcerated p people. So she's, that's that's the thing. I, I mean, uh, and uh, she was sitting in my class, you know, two years ago, and... Uh, and you just here, get to watch here, it, here all it is, you know, yeah, I'm just yeah. sitting there saying, wow, you know, <laughs> go girl. You yeah. Know? I mean, it's just unbelievable. Yeah. So, and, and that was totally inspirational to my mm. class that you could join those things together. Mm. My law degree helped me as much in the practice of law as it did at Naropa. 
Yeah. Right? Just just understanding what I talked about at the beginning was when people come to you and say, X did this, mm-hmm. and X should be fired, mm-hmm. okay? Yeah. And everybody agrees, right? Yeah. And then you just sit there and you say, I have to get to the bottom of this. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's in fairness. Mm-hmm. That's the lazy way is to say, all right, when do you want the person fired? You know, it's that's the lazy way. Yeah. But you you can't you've got to have that mm. quality of Unders- asking questions. Understanding yeah. perspective. Because if you're only having one perspective of a assumed story, you're not a well informed citizen to make a decision that may affect someone's life. That's exactly right. <laughs> exactly right. Very cool. And sometimes I say that, and students say, you what? You ask more questions? Isn't it obvious? And I say, no. But that's and your let's job. let's talk about... You know, yeah, discover. but students would, students would say, isn't it obvious? Right? But don't, you, yeah. don't, don't we hear ourselves <laughs> saying, it's, it's obvious? And I never really liked the person, right? And that's when you can be yeah. like, yes, it is obvious, but there is a due process. Yeah. Everyone is subjected to the process of justice and we have to go through the process. Whether I agree or disagree, that doesn't matter. What matters is facts. Yeah. And you know, even the way you treat your friends. Yeah. Or even more difficult how you treat your non friends. Mm. Yeah. So uh it's, how it's, you it's treat helpful. Yourself. That training is helpful yeah. in that way. I mean, a meditative training is very helpful that mm. way, right? Because yeah. you treat others the way you would treat yourself. Mm-hmm. And if you can't meditate, it's very hard. <laughs> you know, it's very hard to, you know what I mean? If you yeah. can't ask questions of yourself yeah. and see yourself clearly. Mm-hmm. You it's know. a lifelong process, too, because I'm, you know, I'm like a third through my life. And I'm just thinking to myself, I know absolutely nothing. This is great. Oh, no, that's not true. <laughs> this is great. That's, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to keep learning. Yeah. Well, it, let me tell you, never lets up. <laughs> Wonderful. It never Things lets to look up. forward to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. So I think that's our time. And it was just such an honor to hear you speak. And there's like a little bit of lineage going on here because you were a former president for 10 years. You like held the Naropa flag. There's all this good work you're doing in the human rights and justice work. And you're just... You're just like activating all the students to have like well-informed decisions, and it's just it just feels really good to have what's labeled as the hardest course at Naropa. I, I feel like this is a good endeavor for us to activate students to be empowered to really flow with the society that we are all collectively in. Well, just, thank you. It's yeah. it's an honor to be here, and thank you for what the work you're doing. I looked at a couple of the podcasts, and I was like. <laughs> Wow, (laughs) David, thank you. Here we are. Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. So I'd like to thank our very special guest, John Cobb. John Cobb was a former Naropa University president from 93 to 2003, and he is also a lawyer and educator. So thanks again for speaking with us. Thank you. It was a pleasure. On behalf of the Naropa community, thank you for listening to Mindful You, the official podcast of Naropa University. Check us out at www.naropa.edu or follow us on social media for more updates.